you're just trying to like top the golf ball. Okay. Then you're going to try and like cut the golf ball in half and you're going to thin the golf ball. Okay. Then you want to hit the golf ball flush and you want to try and like catch a little bit heavy. Okay. If you're on mats, don't eat any more than that. If you're out on grass, maybe quarter inch heavy, half an inch heavy, right? And then you just like go up and down through that process of learning low point control and what your body is doing to hit those shots. That's how you build skill. This is the Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, Jason. We know you're the number one teacher on Skillist just about, but before we talk about your teaching, let's talk about where you started. Tell us about how you got into the game of golf. I mean, like so many other listeners or people that you have on your podcast, brought into the sport from my grandfather. You know, it was a family family sport. He was absolutely fanatic, probably into golf, anything golf, you know, on the weekends, he was watching golf. And I remember even as a kid, when you're, you know, six, seven, and you, you wanted to watch cartoons and golf was on the TV, my grandpa would be there and he'd be in his recliner with his little remote and he'd fall asleep. And I'd go and like try and grab the remote, change the channel and he'd wake up. <clears throat> I was watching that and I'd sit down there and have to watch, you know, all this golf and, you know, now I love it. Right. And I'm, I'm grateful that he brought me into that sport, you know, playing with his, his friends when they one guy out of their foursome couldn't play. I was like brought in to like fill, fill it up. And that's really where I learned, learned the game and learned to really enjoy it. Did you ever play competitive golf as a kid? When, did, when did you really start to like catch the bug? I never played competitive golf. It was not, I guess the scene wasn't as apparent when I was a kid, especially in Canada, you know, like hockey, right? You, you played hockey or, or like maybe like baseball or soccer, like golf was not a, a big thing. I'm sure there was events, but it wasn't ever brought to my attention. It wasn't like posted or anything like that. I also spent all my summers out at our family cabin. So it wasn't even in the city where there were most events probably were held. So I didn't really play competitive golf and I wish I did as a kid growing up. It was just like hockey and any other sport that I could play that was in season was what I did. And then obviously in the summertime, I went out to the cabin and, you know, there was a course out at the cabin. That's where we, we played. I'd like to hear your opinion on how hockey can help develop a good golf swing. Cause I know there's like some players out on tour, most notably Maverick McNeely grew up playing hockey and obviously creates a lot of power, has a good golf swing. And one of my college teammates pretty much just basically played hockey growing up and he came in really raw, but for whatever reason, he was able to pick up golf super quickly for, I guess, the motor development in hockey just really translates well. Was What's your opinion on that? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely love it. So the two two main sports that I, that I really do love at the top of my list when when students come to me and they always they always bring it as like a as an issue and they're like oh i i used to play hockey or i used to play baseball both are huge rotational sports and i absolutely love it because sometimes it's hard to teach especially later in life how to really use the ground and how to rotate and get the body because we can change a little bit of sequencing but if you're basically just floating you know over top of the ground you're never going to generate a lot of speed and power where hockey, baseball, there's a lot of like using the ground. And, you know, people may be like, oh, well, I mean, on hockey, you're like skating on the ice. But when you make a slap shot and you make that turn, there's so much pressure that goes into your feet that it really isn't talked about a lot, that those rotational movements are absolutely massive in the golf swing. And it was funny, I made a video maybe a couple, well, maybe a month or two ago now talking about how 
like golf, like the golf, golf swing correlates really well to the hockey swing because when you make a slap shot, like, you know, the sticks up to the top, it doesn't go straight down to the, into the puck, right? It reroutes just like a golf swing, right? You want to get that working back behind you where a lot of like hockey players can get that feeling where, yeah, okay, well at the top, the hands go, don't go directly to the golf ball, right? They got to root down back first and then you explode through that, through that impact area. So absolutely love when people come to me and they either used to play hockey or used to play baseball. That is interesting. It's something that I noticed. Cooper had teammates who played hockey. I had in college, there are baseball players who were like just pitchers even, not not even like getting that much batting practice or anything like that, just pitchers. And there was a guy whose club head speed was 120, 122 or something like that, having never played real golf in his life. And it's interesting how those rotational sports can create that. One thing I had a question about, I didn't realize, and I might be even taking this a little off topic here, but I didn't realize that you know a slap shot or anything like that in hockey took so much ground force and was using the ground so much. Tell us a little bit about the stability that it seems like that would not only just develop and create in the player. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you, I know it's hard to like imagine you're on skates, right? But as you like skate into that shot, right? So you, your lead leg is usually pointing somewhat straight, right? And then as you start coiling back, it starts pushing, you start turning to like brace into that lead leg, right? Then there's a rotation back up to the top, right? You're loading everything up to the top of the swing or up top of the slap shot, right? And as you start working down, you start bracing into that lead leg. And I don't know if you've ever seen that video, I posted it again, social media is great, of that little metal, like the guy that's like a nut and he's got like all his body parts welded. And as he's moving down from the top is lead leg posts, right? And that really starts everything else revving up. That's the kinetic sequence that you're looking for into creating a lot of speed where you can get the generation of the force. Well, when you make a slap shot, right? So you turn into that, you post in that lead leg. And then everything basically pushes down into the ground and then off through that shot, right? So that's all the rotational movement as you're pushing down into that lead leg, which then accelerates everything back up out of the way. And if you imagine like guys, right, they like squat down, right, up to the top, right? And then they push off. That's like a perfect slap shot. Everything goes down, squishes, and then right through. That is cool. That makes sense. And I think that leads us perfectly to segue to another question, which is we're talking about golf instruction. We're talking about hockey. How'd you get into golf instruction? I always tell this story and it was very, very selfish. So I was always an okay golfer after, after my injury, but I wanted to get better. And I, I felt that my swing was always holding me back, which a lot of golfers have, right? And there's, you know, skill development and there's swing development. And I always tell people, you can, the analogy I give them is that you as a golfer are like a cup, right? So you might have your cup full and your cup is your swing, right? Your mechanics, right? Like how you move through that golf swing. If you have your cup absolutely full to the brim with skill, and I'm sure you've played with guys like this that have like a quirkier swing and it's not quite perfect, but they play all the time. They practice all the time and they can get around and their score, they can never seem to like shift, let's say their scores to the right, which I always talk about, like your bell curve, which we can talk about a little bit later, but they can never get better. Well, that's because their, their mechanics, their swing is holding them back, right? And then you get other guys. Like I'm sure you guys have played with this guy or even when you came out of like, you know, semi-retirement there, you had a really good golf swing. Your mechanics are really good, but you never played or you never practiced, but you could still shoot a half decent round. Your cup is much larger and it's just not filled with enough skill. And then as you started playing and practicing more, then you filled up your, your cup and now you're starting to shoot lower scores. So whenever I look at golfers, I'm always looking at, well, what's your skill? 
Okay. And what's your cup size? And do we need to like fill your cup or do we need to enlarge your cup? And, and for some golfers, it's both, right? So that's, you know, really what I wanted to do. I wanted to see, well, is it my cup or is it my skill? It was for me more of my cup, but it was that I didn't know how to make my swing work for me. I had a lot of injuries, you know, through, through my career in the military and my swing is not, not like, I mean, I have like social media where it's a little bit of a prettier swing, but my swing when I play out on the golf course is not an attractive swing because I have really bad hip mobility and I have a really bad trail shoulder mobility and chest mobility from all my injuries. So I'm a flying right elbow. And it's like, you look at all these golf magazines, it's like, oh, you can't have a flying right elbow. It's like disastrous for the golf swing, blah, blah, blah. So I went out and got instruction. Well, I want to get rid of this. And it was like, okay, I just do this and you'll be fine. And I did it and I worked on it for six months, eight months. And I got worse because it hurt to make that movement and I couldn't quite make it. So then I actually played worse golf. And I was like, well, this is stupid. And I had an opportunity to learn from Shaheen Achibani, which is like coach here in Canada. And I, you know, now he's coaching a bunch of guys on the PGA Tour and the European Tour, a bunch of corner guys, absolutely fantastic coach. And the way that he teaches the golf swing is, is you know, sort of how I do is, well, what can you make? What are the movements that you can make? And how can we make your swing work within that? So I, I got a chance to learn from him. And it was... I was just doing it to be able to be like, well, once I learned from him, I can, I can coach myself. Right. And that's really what's, what started. And then as I kept learning more and more from him, I'm like, man, there must be more guys like me that are like frustrated within, within their golf swing and think they need to change it or they need to do a big overall overhaul where it might be just like, well, maybe their hips aren't moving properly, or maybe their trail arm is in a good spot, but then their shaft is in a good spot for where their trail arm is. Instead of trying to tear down their whole swing and make it look, you know, like Adam Scott's when they probably can't ever make that movement, let's just make better matchups. So then I was like, okay, well, who can I, who can I help? Well, I'm a veteran, let's help other veterans. And that's where I started. And that was sort of my, I guess, foot in the door where I was like, I absolutely love this. This is so much fun. How can I do this more? And then I started, you know, I got on the skills app, started doing well when COVID hit, it was like for any frontline workers. So I gave free lessons for doctors, nurses, uh, ambulance, firefighters, police, like the whole gamut and just getting reps. And because in the end, whenever you're trying to get better at something, you just need to do it more. Right. And that's basically how I started in the golf industry. Very, very cool. So for the listeners, I mean, Daniel and I have both heard your whole story when it comes to your military career, but I would just like you to kind of go over that so that everybody can get a better idea of where you came from and then, and your injuries involved with that. And then the tournament that you played in, which I think was called the Invictus Games. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to talk about that as well. Yeah, for sure. So I joined the Canadian Forces just a little bit out of uh, high school, not really knowing my career path. And I thought it was sort of the best thing that I could do to like, you know, help the country and help the world. So Join the reserves to try it out, which is like, people don't know, it's not quite full time. And then I really liked it. And I had a chance to get called up to go on tour where you basically get slotted into regular force. And so I did that. I had, they call it a component transfer, which is basically we're going to transfer from reserves to full time. I had that in, that was going to happen as soon as my tour was done. Went in, did all my training in my workup for to go overseas. I completely tore my right rotator cuff out of whatever, whatever the most damage you could do to your your right shoulder. I did it. I was in the top of a turret, and we the vehicle I was in hit a giant dip. So I went up as we went into the dip. Then the vehicle went down, and then back up. And as I went down, the vehicle went back up, and I was holding onto a handle, and my right shoulder just like popped 
basically straight up and out of socket. And I couldn't lift anything for probably about three and a half months vertically in front of me. And I've never had it actually looked at. It just sort of like healed on its own, obviously improperly. That's where I have all my my issues. But I didn't want to get kicked off to her had I like gone in and told them like my shoulders messed up. I would just been kicked off to her. So I just gutted it out and I found ways of like doing all the testing that I needed to, to pass. That got me onto tour. I went to Afghanistan in 2008. Our tours in the Canadian Forces are like six, six and a half months, give or take. Your roto, right? So I made it about five and a half months into my into my tour. Got into a firefight with about forty uh, Taliban fighters. It was it was very hairy. If you've heard uh, the other podcast, it goes in a little bit more detail. But bullets were whizzing absolutely everywhere, throwing grenades at us, RPGs, and I just got out of it with a with a small little <laughs> AK forty seven round through my right femur completely shattering my right leg. It took about four inches of my femur out. You know, my buddies got me out of there. I got held back uh, to Germany and then from Germany back to Canada. It took me about two years to learn how to like really walk again. In that process, I have like a rod and pins in my legs. I was able to crutch around at the cabin. My grandparents at the time were like, hey, why don't you just come out with us in the golf cart? Just like get out some fresh air, right? And I was like, you know what? Let me let me give this a crack. Let me see if I can swing a golf club. So I posted up on my lead leg, had my crutches, just dropped them to the ground, made a swing, and I was like, that's it. I can I can do some sport. Like I'm all in again. And I was like, that's it. I'm gonna be good at golf because at that point I literally couldn't walk. There was no way I was gonna play rugby, hockey, anything else. So absolutely sort of dive back into golf. And then yeah, tried to rehabilitate my leg to stay in the military, but couldn't pass like their universal fitness where you have to like carry someone your weight on your shoulders because my leg just kept collapsing at that time. So retired and then moved on through life. It's hard to figure out what to say after that because that's a that's a deep story. We appreciate you sharing it with us. As as part of that though, we know you went on and I think you played in the Invictus game. Oh, so you right. got back into golf. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I like the States, the Canadians have, it's like a wounded warrior program. It's called Soldier On, which helps guys that are in a bit of a, let's say a slump where you, you know, you don't really have like a goal or anything in life. And I wasn't maybe as bad as some other guys. And, and you know, I could probably tell a story on one of the guys there, but it really gave me this total drive to be better and, and to, you know, push myself to be as best as I could. So when I found out that I got nominated for it uh, for golf I was like ecstatic and you know I went all in I practiced as much as I could and I think I got down I think at that time I, I started my golf career probably in the high 20s and I was maybe a 14 or something like that when I got the news that I was going to play in this event and I got down to a three I think in about a year and a half so I was pretty happy where my game was at and then the event came which was uh, St. George's in Toronto where they they held the RBC tournament there were were Rory won there. Unbelievable venue. Like nicest golf course I've ever played by far. Just like <laughs> the the greens were rolling at 12 and a half at the beginning of the day. And it was see if I can convert this. It was maybe 90 Fahrenheit. Like it was hot. Like super hot. So the greens were starting to bake out and their greens are very undulating. And before that I'd never I mean you always hear the stories of pros saying like, oh you got to leave the ball underneath the hole. I'd never really had that experience before playing this event. And I remember maybe 
the second or third hole, I had a putt above, above the hole. And I remember my buddy was a caddy. He's like, all right, we're, we're not making this putt. We're literally just trying to cozy this up. And then I tried to cozy it up and it still ran like three feet by. And I was like, oh, this is, these are quick, right? And later in the, in the tournament, I had an eagle putt on maybe the 10th or 11th hole or something. Same thing, an eight-foot eagle putt. And I was not thinking about making it. I was just like, do not run this by. And it was the same thing. They were just so fast. It was unbelievable. The guy, the partner we had from New Zealand, I felt so bad for him. He could not get the greens down. And he four-putted. I think he might even have five-putted one of the one of the greens. Like They were just like unbelievable. But yes, amazing event. Um, ended up placing third in the event. Uh, I double bogeyed 18 because I really shut down mentally. I had no idea where I was in the tournament. And I just was like trying to like enjoy it. Like took some pictures on the 18th tee box and then got up to the tee just like totally checked out. Terrible swing on it. Put it behind a tree. Then tried like the hero shot, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit. Hit a tree branch, went into the bunker, blasted of the bunker, and then three putt at the last green because I was above the hole. But yeah, all in all, it was an absolutely fantastic event. And if you can support any of those charities or, or events for soldiers like Soldier On or, or Wounded Warriors, do it. It is unbelievable. There was a guy that was on the American team in a wheelchair and had one of those chairs where they like stand you up. And I was chatting with him because like I was interested in the chair because we just don't have any of those for Canadian guys at the time. And I was asking about his story and he was like, yeah, man, he's like, I was in Iraq, got like my legs blown off and I was in my parents' basement and hated life, didn't want to do anything. And my buddies were like, oh, come out, like, come out. And he's like, well, no, there's nothing I can do. Like, like you guys get to do everything. You can go play basketball, football. I'm stuck here. I got no legs. And uh, his buddy's like, well, we, we arranged one of these golf events and we got one of these golf carts out and they like, basically dragged him out of his house took him to the golf course. They had like instruction. They showed him how to use the cart. He went out and absolutely loved it. And now he didn't place a golf, but he was, he also did swimming and something and maybe wheelchair basketball. And they got, the States got gold in wheelchair basketball and he got gold, two golds and one silver in swimming. And the guy's like, it saved my life. He's like, I was ready to like, you know, end it. Now here I am winning gold medals. He's like, this is, this is it. Right. So it's awesome. That is so cool to hear about how Golf, golf is transcendent and sports are transcendent in a lot of ways. And that's one of the reasons that we do this. And one of the reasons we feel blessed to have played golf, like obviously Cooper and I no longer really playing the most competitive golf, but nonetheless, we feel like growing up playing competitive golf, learning it has helped change our lives for the better for work ethic, understanding who we are, understanding integrity, those types of things that are just important to being a human. And also, as you show right there, like it helps give meaning and help remind us a lot, a lot about what comes on in life. So just transitioning some from that, you, you played in the Invictus Games. Was that – actually, I'll stay right there first. Was that your first golf tournament you'd ever played in? I, I played in like tournament events at my club, but nothing to that mm-hmm. level. You know, like there's maybe the three people behind you that are teeing off behind, behind you, you know, clapping, where this event there was, I don't know, maybe 250, 300 people on the first tee. And like people throughout the whole golf course and you're just, you know, shaking on the first tee, just like, like make contact. Right. And I, and I remember my buddy in front of me, cause it was Stableford scoring, which was smart. Cause he, he blasted two OB on the first tee. And just like, that was this hole. Right. And I had to follow that. I'm like, please just make contact, get the golf, golf ball out onto the fairway somewhere so that we can make the next shot and get off the first tee. Yeah. So like that was your first, 
you know, first real big tournament, but I want to talk about, you know, that year of preparation that you spent getting ready for that and just the process of going from a 14 to a three. I mean, that's a really big jump. So like, what was, you know, what was that process like and how did you get that much better so quickly? Yeah, it's a great question. The first thing I did was I signed up for strokes gain stuff. I can't remember the app I used back then, but it was like very basic. Like the ones they have now are are so much better. And the big one for me was driving accuracy, right? I could always like hit it okay off the tee, but I would like, I used to slice the golf ball, like, you know, every, every amateur, right? It's just like try to hit as hard as you can from the top of the backswing. And it was like, all right, how can I generate more force? And this, so this led into like taking a couple of golf lessons, didn't really, you know, clue in like how, how I need to happen. Right. And you know, sadly, it wasn't like there wasn't anybody, you know, like the skill of staff where I could go outside like my general area. Right. So I was just sort of like, okay, well, how can I figure this out? So then I just practiced a ton. And so for me, what I did was I found out where my weaknesses were, which was basically driving in like too much left to right. And I always talk about you're always trying to like limit how much your ball's curving. So what I did is I stood up on the right hand side of the range and I just hit balls until I could not hit into the fence on the right. And that was it. That was my goal for like 90% of my my lessons was calming down the curvature I had on the golf ball. And once I can keep that in play, then it was picking smart targets. Most people, you know, always practice on what their strengths are and they don't practice enough on their what their weakness is because, you know, and you hear it all the time is people hate looking dumb, right? And they and they hate looking silly. And it just cracks me up because you don't want to look dumb out on the golf course. But then you don't practice well off the golf course. Like, how are you going to ever change that, right? So you get frustrated when you're on the golf course because you hit like a six-yard slice. Well, if that's where you want to look good, look dumb on the driving range or look dumb in your backyard, right? Like, nobody cares what you're doing there because, well, most of the time, no one really cares what you look like on the golf course. People too much too much stress on themselves. Like, if you asked your buddy what you did three rounds ago, they're going to be like, I don't know, you were you you showed up, we played together. Like, they don't know that you shot your best score, and they don't know that you shot your worst score. They just don't care, right? And a lot of golfers need to to build that into their like repertoire of of understanding that other people don't care. So, if you can get over that, you're going to be able to practice better, and then you're going to be able to play better. So for me, it was like getting to the driving range and basically look like a, like a dummy because I would hit balls into the the fence on the right, where other people would like you know maybe get on the right, but then aim all the way on the left and let it like curve back into the into the driving range. Well, that's not helping you any better because now you're going to make that swing when you get on the golf course. That makes sense. We've talked a little bit about strategy and getting better in that regard it, personally. As far as teaching goes, as we said, you got you got into teaching, you wanted to help other people, and you worked with Shaheen, who, as as you said, is really good. And as I've seen listening to him, seeing him on social media, I really respect what he's built there as far as matchups. And that's one of the guys that I didn't take many lessons when I was coming back to playing because I wanted to figure out a few things on my own. But when I was trying to understand, hey, what's going on with the golf club? he was one of the guys that I would follow and try to understand things from, because I think it's very integral as, at least from my perspective as a student, when you're trying to get better, a lot of times things go wrong and you might like come up with your own idea, say, Hey, I want to work on this. And it's not going to get you better because you don't know what's really going wrong. And I'll give you an example. One of the things that was the partial downfall of my college career was I tried to keep my butt back so hard 
uh, that trying to get rid of that hip extension I tried so hard to do that. I when I was injured, I was practicing it because I thought, hey, this is what will make me play better. But for better or for worse, that's not where my golf swing was. To my golf swing didn't allow me to do that. That was a compensation in that case for me. Tell us a little bit about how you learned more about the fundamentals of what the golf club is doing, what the body's doing, how matchups work, and how you've how you teach your students or work with your students with that in light? Yeah, for sure. Uh, great, great question. So the first thing was obviously learning it, right? So you, when you come into looking at someone's golf swing, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, it needs to look a certain way. Well, that's not true into the sense that everyone's swing needs to look the same. Now there's like method teachers, which which can work for, let's say, 50 to 60% of golfers, if that's at a, the higher range, right? Most humans have similar body matchups. Now, you're going to get guys, and this is where it starts wavering, you have guys that have long long legs to short torso or long torso to short arms, right? So whenever I look at my students, the first thing I look up is their body matchups, right? Because how they set up to the, to, the, to the ball, how their swing plane is, is going to change depending on their body matchups. And this is what we talked about at the beginning with Shaheen was like, everyone's going to have a different body and they're going to have different movements, okay? And then once you look at that and how they can turn off the golf ball, that is going to correspond to their hand plane, shaft plane, turn up to the top. And then from there, you just need to make sure that, well, wherever they can get to or wherever they are, the shaft pitch needs to match to that. Okay. Once the shaft pitch matches roughly to that and the movement down from the top, that's good. That's a good position at the top. Club face is always going to be king because that's what you hit the golf ball with. And where I think a lot of people that are baseball players struggle with is there's no, there's no faith base on a on a bat right so they can just turn and it's like as long as i hit it you know within you know this little area right on the bat we're, we're golden right where obviously club face is king it's a club face in the bat spot you're always going to make functional movements in order to square that up now when people look at their swing they always look at the fault okay and i i try not to call them faults but i mean it's sometimes just the easiest thing to call them because that's what they've been called in golf swing forever but they're functional movements right if you early extend, if you flip, if you cast, those are all functional movements in order for your brain to help you out in like the 0.6 seconds or whatever your downswing is, right? So when you early extend or a lot of people at early extends, it's usually because it causes like two things. One of them is usually to help sh- lay the shaft down, right? If you got rid of your early extension and didn't work on laying the shaft down, you would hit the golf ball worse, which is probably what happened because you probably got a little bit better at your early extension, but you never worked on how the shaft was working at the top or in transition. That sort of like derails your golf swing, right? And then it's like, oh, well, you know, that can't be it because I'm, I'm, you know, I look at it and my butt's staying a little bit better. I must be getting better. It must be something else. And then you just sort of like travel down this like never ending, you know, track of like working on things that you really didn't need to work on in the beginning. Now, early extension, there's sort of two forms of early extension. So there's early extension early in in the golf swing, in transition, and then the late, okay? The late one's fine. Okay. A lot of people are like, oh, I hate it. I'm like, if your hands and arms have already gotten down through that impact area and really extending, like as you work down into impact, look at like, you know, Jack, right? Perfect example of someone that early extends, right? His is a later early extension. Great for generating power, right? You're thrusting off the ground. Okay. If you think about someone that deadlifts, right? If you have a face on view of someone deadlift, well, what do they do is through that last little bit, right? They early extend, they thrust their hips, pull everything out. Great for generating force. 
you don't want the early one and you definitely don't want, or you don't want the early one and, and the, the one in transition, those two are going to be really bad in the golf swing. Those are the ones you want to get rid of. Well, how do you get rid of them? Well, if you have a shaft that's in a really bad spot, you need to work on that first because like I said, if you took out that functional movement, you play worse golf. So whenever I look at someone's golf swing, I'm always looking at like the functional movements and that first. And then it's like, okay, well, how can we get them into a better position so they don't have to do those little functional movements so that they can rotate better? You know, if they can turn better through the golf swing, if they can get their club in a better spot, if they can get their face in a better position, we're always trying to make it easier for the golfer. There's always going to be manipulations. And that's really where skill development shines later, right? So I always tell, tell golfers, there's like five steps to like changing your golf swing, right? And, and Tiger said this, and I'm pretty sure it probably came from like Butch or one of those like greats, right? And it's, why do you need to change your golf swing? What's wrong with it, right? Like, you know, what is the underlying cause? Okay, you find that out, okay? Then you, whatever your swing changes, does it start looking better, okay? It's going to feel abysmal. It's going to feel terrible because you never made that movement, okay? And you, you definitely can't make it at full speed, okay? It's going to, but you need to get it to look better. Once it can look better, then it's going to start feeling better. Okay. And that's where it's like, people talk about like the click, right? It's like, oh, that's, that's it. I, I got that. That's the feeling, right? It starts feeling better. Okay. Then you can practice with it. Okay. Cause probably in here you're doing slow motion, like mirror work, all that other stuff. Okay. Then you're going to start practicing. With it, okay. Can you put pressure on it? Right. And we talk about like, you know, putting pressure on the golf swing so that you don't, re you know, revert back to what feels good. Okay. Then can you play with it? Those are like, you know, from one to five, that's how you change your golf swing. And all that stems from positions, how the body can move and how you can transition through the golf swing and what you need in your swing comparable to your body makeup and your injuries. So yeah, just going right off that, uh, the body makeup, selfishly, I'm going to use myself an as an example. What would you think? So I have a longer torso and I have shorter arms. So like, what based off of that, I don't know if it's enough information. Like, what do you think would come easy to me? What do you think would come harder to somebody with that body type? So usually with that body type, you're going to have a little bit of a flatter swing. So you're going to usually have to just bend over a touch more to be able to get your arms hang a little bit straighter from your body. From there, you're going to turn a little bit flatter because you're going to be bent over them, right? So you're like, your swing plane is going to be flatter than someone that's like super like tall at a dress, right? It's going to be more upright. That's usually what I have for people. Very cool. What are, what are some of the other compensations besides like early extension? What are some of the other compensations that are common that people often try and oftentimes try to treat the symptoms of, but don't really get to the root cause of that leave sure. frustrated? hundred percent would be like the flip. Right. And people are like, oh, I've been fighting the flip for my entire life. No matter what, I can't get my hands forward. And you talk about like every pro has got, you know, their hands forward through impact. And it was funny, like Sasha McKenzie, which is like one of my favorite minds in golf. He did like this huge, I think he was re some other golf coach reached out to him and he does like computer modeling. Right. And, and we know that computer modeling is like, you know, science and all that stuff. But like at this point in the, like in, in tech, that stuff's pretty true. Right. And so he did all his computer modeling and he was like, yeah, if you can get your hands forward through impact, it was something like 42% or 62% better. Like you're going to be a better golfer, like cut and dry. You're just going to be better. Well, how do you do that? Well, for everyone's like, well, I want to, I want to do that. I want to get my hands forward. That's awesome. Well, why can't you, your club face is too open. 
at the top or in transition. So your your brain is always going to go, well, how can we help this guy out, right? It doesn't care what you want to have happen, right? It's going to be like, this needs to happen, right? So when you flip or cast, right, like throw the handle out, okay? And if you just imagine like from down the line, and I don't have a club here, but if we just literally go like this, okay, that is going to close that club face like too sweet, super easy, right? So if your face is too open, you're going to have to cast, you're going to have to throw that, you're going to have to flip through impact in order to get your, the ball starting down the target line that you've got like at setup, right? It's just, that's just what's going to happen. So you need to work on getting the club face in a better spot, either grip, wrist angles, forearm, how you're releasing the club, all that stuff. It needs to be done way earlier than you think it needs to be done. And I always talk about, you know, when you're thinking about something for most golfers, it's like, well, if I'm trying to get my, if I'm feeling like my hands are getting forward through impact, that's way too late. Like <laughs> that needs to be thought like in transition, you need to be feeling like you're strengthening that club face way, way sooner at the golf swing than you think it needs to be done. That's like what I was thinking when we were talking about Shaheen, because there's a video. I mean, he's got a ton of stuff out, but like there's a video about a year ago that I saw where he was like, Stop trying to do drills where like maybe you have an impact bag or something where you're just like doing slow motion. Like I'm going to train myself to um, finish it right here. Yeah. Like in order to actually get there, like it's going to happen like way up here. And if um, if you actually have the right matchups, then it happens on its own. You can't just train this like little window in your golf swing to like get it there. It has to be a whole complete. Yeah, you know, 100%. that's what. Well, that's what we're talking about with matchups. Yeah, and you know, I guess exactly. some people don't really interpret that the right way. Yeah. Or they just don't know. Right. And that's, I mean, I can't remember. It was something crazy. Like 2% of all golfers get a golf lesson. Like how bonkers is that? Right. Like, and, and guys, and it's totally fine if you never want a golf lesson. Right. Also fine. Right. And I, and I was telling my students, I'm like, I never want to pressure into you. If you, if you want to get better, go get a golf lesson. It doesn't even need to be with me. Just go find a great, great coach so you can enjoy the game more. Right. But when you're out there trying to like find, figure out your own swing by watching like YouTube videos and heck, maybe one out of 5,000 find the right thing and it works for them, most of them it's going to make them worse, right? Or they're not going to be able to get the right wording or the right thought earlier in the golf swing because in the end, and I mean, social media is great for advertising. Like I post stuff on there at all, but like I wish that, you know, on, on all my videos, I, you know, and some of them I have started saying like, if this is you, if this is your issue, then maybe this is for you. Otherwise, just scroll past, right? Because for someone that, you know, let's say someone that hooks the golf ball because their face is, is too closed at the top and in transition and they start get, like feeling like they're only trying to get more wrist flexion at the top. Well, now they're going to play even worse golf, right? And I don't want that, right? But I still got to make stuff. I got to put out content so that, you know, you can get people to like come and get a lesson, right? And it's the one-on-one -on -one lessons that you're really going to get better at golf at, right? Because it's like, then I can actually see your swing. You're not just like someone scrolling through the internet and like trying this thing out, trying this thing out, trying this thing out. And I would even say moving into that is sometimes it does take a while for things to click, right? And right now I would say our society in a whole is like instant, like it needs to happen instantly. When I worked on my swing, even in myself, I mean, like eight months, I think it took me to like make like a small little minor change. And that's like, I don't practice as, as much as I would like, but for the like average person that plays once a week and practices twice a week, it's going to take a bit of time to make any of those changes. So don't like diverge from the path 
just because it doesn't work right away. It might take some time. You know, it's like anything, you know, an adult sometimes forget how long it took for you to, to learn a skill. You know, for instance, like hockey skating, right? You might have started at five or six, but you weren't really good until you were seven, eight. Like that's like two years of like two times a week, three times a week. You know, you might be practicing out there, the outdoor ice. Like it takes a while to like learn a skill, right? And ingrain a new movement pattern, let alone break a movement pattern that you've been doing for 30 years the incorrect way. That is true. I think the instant gratification thing comes to a good point. And that comes to talking about selecting golf teachers. I think that that can be something hard. It was something, it's hard in two different ways. First, like back like 20 years ago, you were stuck with people who were all local essentially. And so like if your local golf instructor wasn't good or had things wrong, which 20 years ago, a lot of people had things wrong. I'm sure we're going to look back 20 years from now and say, oh, we had some things wrong here. Like that's just the nature of human development. But 20 years ago, we definitely had some things wrong and there were definitely things taught that didn't make people better and likely made them worse because we just didn't know we didn't have the way to measure things, all that kind of stuff. So that was, that was the problem 20 years ago. Now we come to the problem where there's so much to choose from. You're like, how do I choose the right person? And oftentimes I'm not this way, but if you're trying to choose someone to be your instructor, it's like, if they can't fix me fast, then maybe someone else can. You don't know, you don't know exactly what you're getting. And I think that's a lot of where like explaining the problem comes in and that helps people understand, Hey, here's, here's what I need to be looking for. That way you don't get caught by the caught by, you know, the latest fad or latest trend. Like not everybody necessarily needs to get Scooby. There might be other things that they have to work on first before they can get there. So when it comes to picking a golf coach in the age where it seems like there's a lot more golf coaches available because you have skills, like I can go to someone thousands of miles away from me and they can help me. How would you recommend to someone besides saying, Hey, just come to me besides just saying, Hey, come to me. How would you recommend people evaluate who they should be getting lessons from and what they should be learning and gaining from those lessons? Yeah, for sure. I tell us to, to anybody on social media, like you don't have to come see me. I, I just like, I like helping golfers, right? And if you if you just want to get better at golf, that's absolutely like the end, the be all, you know, I want you to like, you know, move your move your bell curve to the right. I want you to play better golf. There's tons of great uh, coaches on the skills staff, right? So the first thing is, what's your availability, right? How, how soon can you get back to that, to that person, right? And how often can you practice? Those are two things I always ask, right? And, you know, there's a couple of guys like Ryan Moore, like a fantastic golf coach and we chat on, on Twitter. I've never actually met the guy. He's just like a super nice guy from like chatting through, through text, right? And you just need to find someone that, that you connect with, right? And they have, we have like free consultations where you can just chat with us and we can talk about your, your golf swing and how the lessons work. Can you get a feel for, you know, my teaching or my personality, because in the end, you gotta, you gotta like the coach you're going to, even though it might be online. If, if you don't like going to that guy, you're not going to, you're not going to keep going. You're not going to like give, you know, your the hundred percent that you need to in your golf swing get better. So when you're looking for a golf coach, find someone that you, you link maybe a little bit of your personality, a little bit of like your, your thought and like how you want to learn it. And, and, you know, not, not for the better terms, but like matchups, like, how does that person coach? Like, is that guy coached, you know, 30, 40 year olds like you and has helped them better? Or is the guy only coaching like, you know, 20 somethings that can move their body into these crazy contorted, you know, positions that you probably can, right? And that's going to be finding a coach that coaches 
more similar, you know, bodies to you, it is probably going to be better for you. Okay. That's where I would start from there. Find out how they find out how they coach, ask them, right? Like, you know, what's your plan for me now? The hard part, and you know, when I when I do my breakdowns for people, is giving them enough information, but not giving them too much information. Because I might see six, eight, ten things that I want to change in your swing, and there's going to be like a roadmap that I have sort of line, outlined in my head for this golfer. Now, they might be too steep at the top, and then because of that, they like you know rotate too early, and it's like, all right, well, we need to start somewhere. All right, well, I might start with like posture, right, and grip right? And just trying to get the club off the golf ball. And that might be it for the first lesson. And it might be like that for like three weeks until you get that in a good spot. If you don't get that in a good spot, we can't move forward. But I also can't be like, hey, once we do this, we want to do this, we want to do this, we want to do this and do that, do that. Because now they're like standing over the golf ball thinking like 10 different things, and they can't make the one or two changes that we need to start and solidify before we can build on. So it's an interesting spot where <laughs> it's like you have to give them enough information, but not too much information. And you got to find this happy medium to, to make sure that they're engaged and that they're being able to train. Now, where I would say I would like to maybe say I'm maybe a little bit better at other coaches is my ability to like pivot if like the wording or the drill that I give you isn't working for you. Because there's so many different drills. And I, I mean, it's not like I invented any of these drills. Well, yet anyways. It's just like, I've learned them, right? And I've learned them from Shaheen. I've learned them from other coaches, from Steve Furlonger, like Andrew Rice, like all these great coaches that I've been able to like study under. I just learned them. And then the the ability to like pinpoint which drill was going to help that guy the most. There might be like three or four different drills that'll help him. I just got to try and find the the right one that's going to help that guy the quickest, right? So that he can move on to the next thing. That makes sense. I think we've talked a lot about golf instruction here. But that only covers half of what really maybe it takes to play golf, especially golf tournaments, because you get out on the golf course and the golf course, you can't play golf swing on the golf course. And you mentioned earlier, you talked about, you know, taking the conservative shot or the hero shot versus the conservative shot. We talked a little bit about golf swing philosophy. Let's talk a, talk a little bit about playing golf and your philosophy there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so... Probably the best one and, and the one that I always tell my students is, uh, I mean, Tiger said it, right? And it's like holds true to this day. You need to be aggressive to your target, right? And, you know, even now, I absolutely love, I think it was Cam Smith of the players last year where it was like that front right pin and he came into it and they were like, oh, tell us about the shot on, uh, on, uh, on 17 there. And he goes, oh, I, I pushed it. And they're like, what? He's like, oh yeah, I was, I, I, as soon as it was off the club face, I'm like, please don't go in the water. Please don't go in the water. There's no way that even the best players in the world are firing at pins like that. They're just not, right? We're the amateurs. And I mean, you know, I was guilty for it when I, when I grew up, all you do is watch these guys hit it at pins, right? And it's, they, they probably weren't aiming there, right? And they just got the, the right gust of wind or they pushed it. And now it's like, oh my God, that that's how you win golf tournaments. I, that's how you play better golf. And then the amateur goes out there that has nowhere near the same skill level as those guys. And we fire pins. And I mean, I bet you, I mean, if you look at Arco's data, I bet you it's like most amateurs are 60 to 70% short every time on the green, right? You take that to that whole location. And now you dunk that ball in the water 75, 85% of the time. You need to be aiming to like conservative targets, but putting a good swing and being aggressive to those targets. That's how you play really good golf. 
it's hitting greens and regs, right? And if you look at, I think it's like 60%. Like if you get down to like a scratch or a two golfer, you need to be hitting 60% of greens and regs. And you look at like, it just drops dramatically after that, right? And it's like, sure, I mean, distance is really good. And you look at, you know, strokes gained, it's like you need to hit the ball a little bit further because then you got shorter, you know, clubs into the green. But then you guys still got to hit it onto the green, right? So whenever we talk about, you know, playing better golf and lowering your scores, stop firing at pins. Like even, uh, I think I was talking with one of my students the other day. I said, and he's coming up and he's playing in a tournament. I said, unless that pin's in the middle of the green, you're not firing at a single pin. Like unless you're within, I think I told him it was 80 yards. You're just hitting the middle of the green, middle, middle, back of the green. You're getting, you're, you want to hit 12 to 13 greens and regs. And I guarantee you, you're not going to play terrible golf, right? And, and that's what it is. Like tournament play is so hard. It's so stressful. Like stop making it so hard on yourself. Unless you're playing in a Monday qualifier where you got to shoot like 62, like just hit greens and regs. Go, go that two putt, like lights out, like get on in two if you can in par fives because you hit it far enough. Make birdies from two putting on par fives and just stop, you know, making dumb choices, trying to fire at pins. I think that's a perfect segue to not just talking about strategy right there, which is important in a golf tournament, but also talk a little bit about nerves. We talked about when you had nerves at a tournament and how you handled it. And I imagine you've learned to handle nerves better as you've gotten older. How do you help your students with handling nerves in tournaments? Because it feels so easy to go out, like you go out and play with your buddies and like you play for a little bit of money. There's not that much pressure. Even if you play for more money than you want to, it just, for some reason, and Cooper, Cooper and I have been witness. We've, Cooper and I took a beating one time. I can remember. I'm not even going to go into all the details, but it was just a terrible game. Me, me and him against another two guys, and I'm. Like, we were screwed from the start. Yep, I snapped <laughs> a wedge in the middle of the fairway. I was so mad. Um, it just, it was, it was one of those days where it wasn't going to happen for us. But like, even though I was mad, I felt a little bit of pressure. It's nothing like when I get up to the tournament with no money on the line that we're just playing for essentially to like coaches aren't even there watching it's just your parents there that that tournament felt you have more pressure in that situation so tell us a little bit about how you help people jump from playing the recreational rounds to playing in tournament rounds yeah so for most of my students that that play tournament golf uh, we usually are we chat about the, the two weeks leading up to it so the first thing is we stop focusing on golf swing and we're it's all skilled skill development so like low point games, start line games, all that stuff that are just like fun games, but they start stressing the golf swing, right? And, you know, one of my favorite ones is like the the five finger drill, right? So you basically stand behind the golf ball, put your hand up down the target line, and you're trying to get the ball starting on the five finger tips, right? And you just need to have some sort of pressure on there. Let's say if you don't, if you get three out of the five, you got to do three jumping jacks. You look like an absolute idiot on the drive range. So as soon as you get close to that, like three to four, you start getting a little bit of stress, right? That starts getting you feeling more comfortable with the tiniest little bit of stress. It's minute. What's three jumping jacks? You look like an idiot. Nobody cares. They're like, who's this guy jumping, doing jumping jacks? But you learn to be able to make a golf swing while you got a little bit of pressure. And okay? now once you get up to like a week before, we talk about like mental prep. So like visualizing you getting out to the golf course, visualizing you getting your car, grabbing your clubs, going up to like the score tent, grabbing your scorecard, meeting the guys you're golfing with, you know, like 
pre-shot routine, doing everything in your head before you even got there. Okay, built a week out, maybe three days at max, you're starting to visualize you doing like playing in the tournament, right? And that, I always tell guys the, the story and I don't even know if it's true, but it's just a cool story of this Vietnam vet and he was a prisoner of war and how he got past all his times in, in uh, being locked up was he visualized himself playing golf at his home track. And he finally got rescued, brought back after he went through, you know, rehab, got to go golfing, shot his best round because he'd visualized playing that course over and over and over in his, in his mind. And they even did a study, I don't remember when, but it was like for basketball players and they had a control group where they practiced hitting three, three throws and they had a control group where they visualized hitting three, three throws. And the control group that was just visualized actually scored better at the end of the test just shows how powerful it is to be able to visualize it. Now, what a lot of golfers do is they'll just visualize them just standing there hitting the shot and they miss everything leading up to it. Like they miss getting out of their car, they miss walking up, they miss like meeting the guy that they're golfing with. You need to go through all that stuff because that's what really what happens in there, right? Then you can start like breathing through it, all that good stuff, right? So that's what I tell people. Now, about two days before, maybe one day before, you need to start planning out what your day is really going to look like from start to finish. So get your golf bag ready how are you going to prep where you're going to eat in the morning what time you're going to sleep what time you're going to get up okay these are all things that you really need to like nail down so that you aren't like rushing through it right and it's like okay that's really good and one of my you know well one of my favorite coaches so dr jay's like pretty good friend of mine now he talks about finding out stressors right and for me, when I played, like used to play in amateur events, there was this guy that I that I sort of despised. And it was like this weird, like he was just like a bit of an asshole. And and I got paired up with him and he made this one star comment. And it was like, what? why 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 he's gotta say that? Right. And it got in my head and I hit like three bad shots. And I was like, man, why am I thinking about this guy? And sure enough, the next time that I played in the next tournament, he was my partner again. And I was like, I'm going to beat this guy. And all I was thinking about was beating him. So I started firing at like pins I shouldn't have fired at. And it's just like, he beat me by one. And I was like, I can't believe this. Like, it's just like, it was like, like totally threw me for a loop. And that guy probably didn't like know who I was, didn't bother him. And, and it's like, you need to be like, okay, what happens if this guy's there? How am I going to react? Right. Am I just going to like shake his hand and roll it off? You got to run through all those scenarios so that if it does happen, you're in control, right? Or as much as you can be in control, right? So think about that stuff. Think about how, you know, what, what's going to be like, if it, it's going to rain, like do I have my rain here? Like you just want to run through all the scenarios so that you're ready when it, when it, when time comes. Now, when you get to the day and you're talking about stress of the day, enjoy it. Okay. That's how you're really going to be able to, you know, harness it. You're never going to be able to control it. And there's so many things in the golf, in golf in general that you can't control. But if you can flip the switch from being like, man, I'm so nervous. And like your hands are shaking to the point where like, man, this is it. I'm, I've waited to enjoy this moment for so long. Here it is. Let's go through the process. Let's hit a good golf shot. Let's do this. Like that's a way better thought than it is like, okay, let's just like take a dig, big deep breath. Let's push everything down. And like, let's just hit the shot and like go into the next thing. Where if it's like, man, I can't wait to hit the shot. Like, let's go. That's really where most great athletes like shine because then they can use it rather than trying to like suppress it. Right. Now, if you're really struggling with it, the, the tip that I usually give for my, most of my students is to eat something, like have like a log and in your mouth, chew some gum because it like triggers like a, like a brain function, flight versus fight versus flight, right? If you're eating something, this goes back to like caveman days, it's going to like trigger your brain to be like, oh, you're, you're in a safe, comfortable area, you know, chewing gum, 
like put a lodge in whatever it is, that's going to help just bring you down a little bit so that now you can start like thinking clearly, you know, going through your protein or your, your routine. Very cool. Lots of, lots of interesting stuff there. I want to kind of, something caught my attention early on in your response was that for skill development, you focus on low or you tell your students to do low point games. What, what is that? And what are those games that yes, involve you know, sure. working so, on the low point? Low point control, and I'll probably actually have a video out in the next couple of weeks on it. it it's just, a, and I'm sure you've seen like the pros do it. And, and a lot of the time it, it's like kids do it when you're just at the driving range or, or like, you know, parents drop you off the golf course and you're just like messing around, right? And it's, you've seen the, I think it was Dustin Johnson and maybe John Ron, I can't remember. They were having a contest to see how short you could hit your driver. So they were absolutely just full out swing, but they were just trying to graze the top of the golf ball, right? And they're trying to get the ball just to dribble off the tee. And that is, that's a skill, right? That's skill development. So a lot of golfers, especially amateurs, struggle with low point control, right? So if you're struggling with low point control, instead of trying to hit off a mat all the time and you're just trying to pick that ball clean, learn how to top the golf ball or straight up with the golf ball at, you know, and, and whenever you're doing skill development, you need to start at whatever speed that you can do it at, right? So it might be, at 10% speed. And I always talk about this with my students. It might be a 10% speed. So you're going to stand over that golf ball and you're going to make a full swing, but at 10% speed and you're going to whiff the golf ball. Okay. That's stage one. Stage two would be, you're just trying to like top the golf ball. Okay. Then you're going to try and like cut the golf ball in half and you're going to thin the golf ball. Okay. Then you want to hit the golf ball flush and you want to try and like catch a little bit heavy. Okay. If you're on mats, don't eat any more than that. If you're out on grass, maybe quarter inch heavy, half an inch heavy, right? And then you just like go up and down through that process of learning low point control and what your body is doing to hit those shots. That's how you build skill development. And they're just fun little games that you probably did as a kid. You just never thought about them. I'm glad you explained that to us and reminded me because I know what I'm going to be going out and practicing on if the weather turns around a little bit tomorrow. That's good insight. And another thing I wanted to jump to, we talked about those games. But And we talked about pre-tournament before that. What about after tournament? Your student's done. They've wrapped up a tournament. What sort of a stats are they keeping? But also, what do you have them write anything down to let you know and let you know what's going on inside their head and let you get in there and try to help them out if they're missing anything? Yeah. I mean, that that's from, different from player to player. Some guys only worry about score, right? And that's, you know, their, their only thing they worry about. For those guys, it's like, well, I want to know your stats, right? The score really, I mean, that, there's so many variables that goes into that. You gust of wind, you hit a bump in the green. Like, I really, I mean, it's cool, like, and and it's maybe it can be fulfilling, but in the end, it's like, how many times did you go through the process properly, right? And we talked about the mental scorecard. I'm sure you've had guys talk about that. It's like, did you go through your mental scorecard on every single shot, right? Did you check the lie? Did you check the wind? Did you see your shot shape? Did you pick the right club? Like, did you commit to it, right? And then after that, did you allow it to like, you know, did you check? Was there any patterns? And then did you release and go on to the next shot? That would be more, what I'd be more important, you know, to like learn from the student. And then from there, all right, well, when's the next tournament, right? Because that tournament's done. It's like, you can't change anything what's like our game plan for the next thing, right? So, you know, when can we get back? When can we work on it? And is there patterns, right? And that's the biggest thing. It's like, okay, well, when you got on the golf course, you got a little stress, you know, my five-yard fade turned into like a 10-yard, 15-yard, like, you know, overfade or whatever it is, right? Okay, well, now I have that in my bank when I watch the next videos that we watch or if we're doing like a live lesson through like FaceTime or whatever, 
I'm going to look at your swing a little bit different. And it's like, all right, let's, you know, maybe work on a little bit more stress on your swing. Okay. And when we put stress on your swing, what happens to that ball flight? And then we would go from there. That makes sense. I think that that is a perfect, perfect way to capture what it takes to play tournament golf. We talked a lot about tournaments, talked a lot about golf swing today. And I think that kind of leads us in perfectly to our last question. So for you, because you're an instructor, it's going to be two parts. And our last question to every guest is, if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer, tell yourself just one thing, what would that be? And then for you, since you're an instructor, also tell us if you could tell a junior golfer just one thing, what would that one thing be? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I would probably say just bring a little tear here, but just enjoy golfing with my family more, you know, like you're never going to get to golf with your grandpa again or your dad again when he, once he passes. Just enjoy that time with him. I mean, <clears throat> golf is such an unreal sport that you have the ability to to play the exact same game at the exact same time, you know, with that anybody, right? It could be like your 90-year-old grandpa and could be like your 6-year-old son. You're you're playing the same game, which is awesome. Now, for juniors for like a coaching-wise, man, I would say I mean, it's a bit of cliche right now, but I'd learn how to hit it far. Even with like when they talk about the rollback right now or whatever, you still need to hit that ball far, right? Hit it far, do loads of other sports. Uh, We talked about at the beginning, hockey, baseball, basketball, volleyball, rotational sports, jumping sports, build lots of power in your swing early in in your career where you're not making repetitive movements in golf so you don't burn out later in your career. Perfect. We appreciate it. Where can people find you on social media? Where can they find you on Skillst? And where can they reach out to you to learn more about you and the products that you offer? Yeah, for sure. So Instagram is Nickel Golf, N-I-C-K-O-L, Golf. Twitter is just Jason Nickel. Skillist is where I do all my online coaching. Uh, that You can just search me on the app, download the app. You can find me. Not quite number one, <laughs> number number two, but all those all those coaches are 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 phenomenal on that on that platform. So any any of the ones doesn't need to be me. I mean, I'd sure love to help you, but I just want golfers to get better. So I want you guys to enjoy that game more out there and have have way more fun. Awesome. Be sure to give Jason a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like subscribe. This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at The Tournament Code and on Twitter at Tournament Code. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen and look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf. Yeah.